Hello, listener. Welcome to the Switch It podcast, where there's no such thing as loyalty. England completed their World Cup preparation by hammering New Zealand in the final two ODIs and then took the big call on their World Cup squad. Jason Roy going the way of Logan, Kendall and Roman before him after a knifing that succession writer Jesse Armstrong would have been proud of. The selectors have instead bought shares in Harry Brook as the spare batter after David Milan proved he was the ODI big beast, too big to be taken down just yet. To discuss all the last-ditch manoeuvring, I'm joined by established opening pair Andrew Miller and Vitushin Hantaraja, who will be backed as always to play their shots without fear of consequence. Uh, hello, chaps. Good to see you. Our listeners aren't blessed with the view of you both tucked away in quiet corners of the county circuit, but the World Cup can wait uh, because there's impending drama at the top and bottom of the county championship, Miller. There is. Well, I'm, I'm in the shame-worn commentary box at, uh, at Lords up in the media centre watching Middlesex being an absolute shower as usual. I mean, honestly, the, I, I saw them at Chelmsford last week. Um, they got obliterated there. And they're 54 for four at the moment. They'll be about seven down, I'm guessing, by the time we uh, get to the end of this pod. Um, I mean, to be honest, their their batting has just been dismal every time I looked at it, and I think they're going down personally. But you never know. It's Tim Tim Murta's farewell match, so uh, he will almost certainly be bowling sometime today. So maybe he'll uh, he'll turn on the age of 42 and save the day. Uh, you know, 40 year olds still have something going for them. <laughs> Dial M. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's it's all about uh, the golden oldies um, for uh, certainly for England and the World Cup. Um, Vish, you were predicting uh, a shower of of, of North Hans wickets down there in, in South London, I think. But uh, yeah, so far, um, yet to fully materialise. No, no, not quite. I mean, Dan Worrell and Kim Roach have been outstanding this season, and they couldn't lay a glove on the openers. Really, it's quite windy here. And bowlers often talk about the wind affecting them in their run-up. So um, that's certainly 30 of the words that I've already written down for my report at the end of the day. But no, Jordan Clark's come in and uh, and does a bit done the business. Northlands, I think, are two down. Can't quite see the scoreboard from this little dingy TMS dungeon. Um, did notice the Miller's got, you know, three lovely pictures of Shane Warne there. And I have an empty packet of Quavers, which I assume are from the test. <laughs> so that's what your licence fee goes to. It's literally fascinating insight here into both the process of your match reporting and uh, you know what's happening in <laughs> county boxes in September. Um, it's all beginning to feel quite autumnal. Um, must be time for a margins of the season klaxon sooner or later. But we will we will move swiftly on, I think, to the main event. Main event, even um, in out, shake it all about. England have finally settled on their World Cup fifteen. Miller. Um, we said uh, last week that it would need um, something phenomenal to get Harry Brook in the squad. But it turns out the uh, phenomenal contributor in this case was actually David Milan. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've said an awful lot about David Milan over the years. He's, he's listened to most of it. And gloriously on this occasion, he, he's basically ignored every single brickback that's been thrown at him and just turned up the goods. And, you know, it, it, it is fascinating, isn't it? Just the we were discussing this off air yesterday, just, just the, you know, the one guy who has really knuckled down, you know, part of, I, I kind of thought it was, you know, almost to his detriment, the fact that he'd taken one day cricket quite so seriously at the time when no one else was, but he has, and watch him, to watch him back in particular at the Oval, at the Lords, that, that century, it was to watch a guy in absolute command of his brief. He was, you know, his cover drives, he was stepping to the ball early. He was, 
pausing a beat and nailing it. He was just absolutely in complete control of everything he was doing. And it's, it is fascinating, isn't it? So much of England's preparation, and even Luke Wright talking about it um, when he was speaking to the media, explaining the ditching of Jason Roy, he had been talking in terms of Dad Milan, you know, a guy who'd scored 400s in nine innings at one stage in this ODI cycle, was going to go as the reserve batsman. Even until this week, that was the plan. And yet he just keeps on churning out the runs and keeps on producing and keeps on making a case to say, you know what, I'm actually the form player in 50-over cricket, arguably in the world. Heinrich Klassen might argue with that. But, you know, there are very few players who can pr produce a body of work quite like he's produced. And so the confidence that that's going to give him going into this World Cup is insurmountable. And that, that frankly, was the, the major reason why Jason Roy got binned off. I think, you know, the loyalty that, um, that Joss Butler had been espousing the previous day when he said, uh, you know, we are going to give people a chance, you know, we're not going to judge people by, by the last four games. Well, actually, they did. Fundamentally, they did. They judged Dawa Milan on those last four games saying, you know what? You're in a place that we cannot, in our right minds, ignore. And so he's going to go as the number one man on the team sheet in every sense for England. And everything else falls into place from there. And so Harry Brook, as we say, I mean, what, 37 runs and 68 balls in this video series? Not, not a particularly impressive uh, performance. But at the same time, he's a coming man. He's shown what he's done, you know, after his initial uh, omission from the, that World Cup squad in, in August. I think he, I think we had tossed it up. He's made 259 runs in 129 balls in his next four innings. I mean, that was the response that England, that made England prick their ears up, not the failure to produce in the ODIs. And so they thought, this guy is the coming man. This guy is the future. Dar Milan is the present. And that means Jason Roy, very sadly, is the past. And uh, it just goes to show how quickly things move on in this uh, cutthroat world of, of international professional cricket. Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on in terms of the, uh, you know, the messaging coming out of the England team when they announced a provisional squad was, as Miller said, not judging anyone on what was going to happen in the wild games against New Zealand. But they did. They judged two people on the ODIs and, well, specifically on the ODI series. And that was Darwin Land, but also Jason Roy. It sounds like there was an element of, you know, we haven't, really, we haven't heard Jason Roy's side of it yet, and we probably will do in due course, but... I think, you know, one of the questions that was asked to Luke Wright in the in the press conference on Monday was, you know, what were players told exactly? Because David Milan was um, told us at Lords Miller, um, you know, in his press conference afterwards that he was told he was going to the World Cup. That was the call he had, and he obviously knew it was up in the air because a lot of the media talk was that it was up in the air. I, I wonder if Jason Roy just assumed he was going to the World Cup because he's Jason Roy, and maybe almost a, an element of well, they, they wouldn't do it to me twice in 12 months, would they? And they, they absolutely would, and they absolutely have. Because um, it sounds like he was offered maybe, or well, there was talk that, you know, he could make himself available for the R series. And he wasn't sure about that, in part because he didn't want to put himself in a position to get injured, you know, to hurt his back even more ahead of that World Cup. And then they, because of David Milan, because he was, because he was so... Uh, specifically because he was so good at the top of the order, they thought, well, actually, got a gun opener here. We've got a guy in Harry Brook who pushed on the shaft, could probably open, but also could fill in a gap between one to six in the middle order as well. And that feels like it 
is a, be- a balance for us. And, you know, unfortunately for Roy, he's he's gone through this. And there's also this situation now where Luke Wright said, you know, he is potentially available as a, you know, as someone who could play in these ODIs for New Zealand, for, against Ireland, sorry, specifically the game on Saturday at uh, Trent Bridge and the game on the following Wednesday in Bristol. But it sounds like from what I heard yesterday that those conversations are still going on because, you know, would he want to really, given the, you know, the situation that has unfolded where he's not going to the World Cup and, you know, Roller positive, Matt Roller posited yesterday that even though he's still technically available, there's every chance he has played his last game for England. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a few strands to this, isn't there? Because uh, since that original squad was announced, three things have basically changed. You had Harry Brooks' um, initial response in in uh, the shorter formats, uh, admittedly, but you know, that um, 42 ball, 44 ball, 100 in, in the 100. Uh, and he started the T20Is against New Zealand in blistering form. Um, you had Milan's ODI run, uh, which has been imperious, as, as Miller's um, touched on. And then you've had Roy's injury situation. And uh, I think Matt wrote this yesterday. Those sort of those are the, the moving parts in uh, over the, the past few weeks. Um, Miller, if you look a bit further back at, uh, I mean, we, we talked about Milan averaging 50, I think he averages 60 plus now in ODIs uh, and, and properly taking the format seriously. Roy, since the last World Cup, um, average of 31, a strike rate of 99, which is decent but below his career average. Um, and uh, if you actually, if you take out the series against the Netherlands last summer, that drops to uh, 27. 0.5 average and strike rate of 95. Um, but yeah, there was an assumption that England were sticking with, uh, you, you know, the uh, the uh, the World Cup winners, the 2019 crew, for a reason. Um, and it does seem to be this this um, suggestion of uh, the players being told a month ago, oh, well, you're you're on the plane, without it being made quite so clear that this could still come up for debate. Um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how Matt Mott was very insistent this was the provisional squad. Um, and, and that was the sort of one of the first inklings that, that Brooke was very much still in the conversation. Um, but I suppose just to, to boil that down, is this, I mean, is this just, just professional sport and the kind of thing that Jason Roy maybe should have seen coming? Or is it kind of a, a fair way to treat a World Cup winner and legend of, of white ball, England white ball cricket? Yeah, well, he should have seen it coming because it happened to him last year. I mean, it's a, you know, two two Septembers running. Joss Butler's had to ring him up and say, "Sorry, mate, um, you're not going to the World Cup." So, you know, he knew he was vulnerable. I think that that's that's a given. Uh, in terms of in terms of the overall the overall numbers, I mean, as, as you say, the, the thirty one mm-hmm. at ninety nine or whatever it is is not a bad return, but it's just a notch down from the supersonic performances he was producing, particularly in 2019, when he went into that World Cup as England's most important player, I I would argue. Obviously, Ben Stokes finished as the most important player. But when he went missing in the middle of the World Cup, when he he suffered a hamstring strain, England lost two games. James Vince went into open, didn't manage to produce the numbers that Roy produced. I mean, and Roy, in fact, I think he scored all, all told from the start of 2019 in West Indies through to the final at Lords, I think he made 845 runs at 70 and a strike rate of 118. I mean, for an opener, that is just preposterous numbers, absolutely preposterous numbers. And so you compare that to what they've got now is a guy who 
just looking a little bit vulnerable. I mean, as we've talked as well, back injuries are not a good thing to have if you're going to be hopping on endless flights around India, 14 internal flights, whatever it is they're going to have. It's not a, not a comfortable thing. I, I speak from experience on that, on that front. Um, and the question, I suppose, that England had to ask themselves, and they kind of did it in, the, in a T20 format last year, is, is this guy expendable? He was not expendable at all. In fact, Owen Morgan rushed him back for that critical game against um, India at Edgebaston. Remember when England needed to win four in a row to win the World Cup? And if they'd lost at Edgebaston, they wouldn't have made the knockouts. He was still struggling with his hamstring strain, but Morgan decided, nope, Jason Roy has got to play this match. And lo and behold, he and Bairstow produced a, a massive century stand and the rest is history. They're not in that position with him anymore. They do not they do not fundamentally think he's the same guy. But I, I was looking at the numbers now. I'm, I've, I've lost track of where it was. But there was one game in particular. It might have been in T20s last year, but I can't remember. I have to dig it out properly. When he took second strike for the first time ever, he, you know, he'd always fronted up. He'd always been the guy who goes in to open the batting for England, set the agenda. He doesn't care about getting out. I mean, he famously got out for a first ball duck on his debut. He was throwing the, throwing the bat and then England rallied around and got 400 in his absence because, you know, they, they took the lead essentially. It's like, you know what? This guy's gone out, doesn't care. He's going to keep going, keep attacking. The way that Roy set the agenda for England in that crucial four-year period, all the way from 2015 to 2019, was genuinely agenda setting. Since then, I, I sense a little bit of fear has crept into his game. Um, you know, it's, it's objective, so it's hard, it's hard to say for certain. But certainly since Owen Morgan moved on, Morgan and Roy, Roy was clearly Morgan's man. In 2017, Johnny Bairstow was knocking at the door, much as Darren Milan has been doing here. And Morgan just wouldn't open the door for him. He said, no, I do not trust you. I trust, I trust Jason Roy until such time as he, he suffered this terrible run of form at the Champions Trophy. And in comes Bairstow very much as, as Milan has done now. He's undeniable run of form and then kept his place. So England have had that, that example previously of, you know, you have an incredibly high bar of entry to get into this, into this team in the first place, but also to keep your place in the team, you've got to maintain that high bar. And I just sense that, that Roy's bar has, for whatever reason, just been a little bit lower in the last three years than it was in, in that unbelievably good run all the way through uh, to 2019. Um he is, I think, uh, right said yesterday, um, Vish, that, that Roy is kind of the backup batter still. I mean, he, he could still go to the World Cup. Um, as a, there's sort of travelling reserves that you name, although they're only going to travel with one of them, which is Joffre Archer, I think. Um, he might play this week in the next week against Ireland, as, as, as mentioned. Um, he'd, he'd kind of already signposted, though, that this World Cup was probably the end of the road for him with England. Um, he's He's on the sort of fringes of that um, well, the burgeoning year-round T20 lifestyle of, of playing for Kolkata, LA, or wherever uh, they... Uh, Night Riders, I should say, not Kolkata. Um, wherever they turn up next. Um, so it very much feels like the end for him. And, and, if, and if so, it, I mean, it's going to be the end of, you know, one of the defining sort of iconic opening partnerships, certainly from an English one-day perspective... And, and they rank up there um, with uh, others, other partnerships from around the world as well. Bairstow and Roy, I mean, uh, averaging something like 58, 1,400 stands, 10, 
50 stands and that those are some and, and always scoring at more than the runner ball as well and those that they, they've had incredible success together um this the the new the new the new opening pair milan and Bersto feels very much a, a more of an expedient move uh, uh, that's you know purely with the world cup in mind but it will be yeah it'll be a changing of the guard up there yeah, yeah, it will be. You know, you're right to mention the open stand with Bears, though, because they they were unreal, really. When it got, especially when you know you, you talk of that 2015 to 2019 cycle as quite not necessarily seamless, but very much going in one direction. And the most impressive thing about impressive thing about that was there was a lot of changing with that top order. You know, Bears, though, was a middle order player, came in and to the top of the order. There was obviously the situation with Hales, and you thought, you know, prior to um, you know, Hales is uh, best ahead of that World Cup. You know, we were all talking about, God, is there a better top three than that? You know, uh, Roy Besto and Hales would rival at the time, you know, Neymar, Messi and Suarez of Barcelona. Like that was, we were talking to them in, about that trio in, in very over the top terms, but rightly so. And I think that's what makes that 2019 stand out, that period stand out so well is because those who really set the, you know, set the agenda for England throughout that World Cup. But I would say also Roy, you know, we talk about, we should talk about Jason Roy, the individual before that, because he was such a domineering presence. You know, it's interesting being here at the Oval talking about him, because I remember when he was coming through and they were talking about this guy who just hits the ball damn hard and just continues with this fearless approach. And there was almost, you know, obviously he has South African roots, but there was a bit of young KP about it. And it was like, wow, this is just, this is undistilled KP we've got here. And the most amazing thing really is that he was able to carry that on through his thirties. You think age really dulls that kind of um, joie de vivre, that kind of fearlessness of a young player. And it didn't really with him. And in part because he had someone in Owen Morgan and, and Trevor Bayliss to an extent who really told him to embrace that. And, you know, he, I think the fact came at a time, or he was, you know, the main part of his career was at a time when English cricket was turning its attitude to a more engaging and attacking approach um, would have helped him. But he was obviously a part of that. He was a part of that mentality shift as well. And, you know, I, I think back to that, that semi-final in the World Cup against Australia at Edgbaston where, I don't know, like he was the only English player who could have done that. Like he battered Australia and it, it really did batter Australia and that was the reason you could see why England wanted to you know give him a go in test because like you know he, he was Miller's on the pod we've got to mention it he was he, he was the kind of he, he was the best of the pre bowlers wasn't he you know he was just the, the way he would approach attacks the, so dismissive as well and just to riff off what Miller just said it feels like the last couple of years he's had to face up to his own mortality a bit more and it's he seems to have really struggled with that and I think he will be remembered as an England great without without a doubt um it's just a shame that at, at a time when it feels like this is the swan song and this is you know one last job for that 2019 cartel he's deemed surplus to requirements yeah it's certainly um, I'm sure we'll hear his side of it, but you'd think a, a bitter pill. Um, he had he had seemed uh, one of the, the sort of uh, the locks, one of those certainties, Miller, where we talked about how many um, 
of the 2019 uh, crew are back for this 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 uh, this campaign. It's it's eight now. It was nine, um, but it's um, and this has been a hard decision. Clearly, um, again, signs of the depth and the strength uh, England's white ball setup, but is. Uh, an indication that some of the blocks are beginning to fall into place a little bit. We, uh, a month or so ago, expecting, you know, Roy Bairstow uh, to open and, and Milan to be that sort of spare batter. He's now Milan's going to open alongside Bairstow. Bairstow, it might be worth pointing out, um, made six Norton 13 in the ODIs against New Zealand. So not in flush 50 over form himself, but he, he did get uh, runs in the T20s. Um, ben Stokes, uh, who on an, any other week would have been talking about at the top of the show because he scored 182 uh, off 124 balls at the Oval uh, a week ago um, to break Jason Roy's record, uh, hark back to, to his impact, um, for the highest uh, ODI score by an Englishman. Um, so Stokes' return seems to be going all right. Um the, the bowling, uh, that that uh, there's still one or two question marks over the fitness, I suppose, of, of people like Mark Wood and Adil Rashid, who England have kept under co- uh, wrapped in cotton wool a little bit. But um, the batting is is beginning to to feel a bit more, you know, as as we'd expect, apart from um, Joe Root's run of form. So you got you got Stokes's innings in particular um, confirming what I suppose what we already knew. Root's uh, search for form. Um, and he's going to play the island ODIs, or certainly the, the heading the ODI. Uh, and you'd expect if he gets some runs there, then England will be feeling pretty content about the, the build-up now. Yeah, so it, it, it's a weird mix of mix of mindsets going on with England at the moment. I mean, clearly they came into this whole campaign thinking, right, we've basically just put 50 other pressure on the back burner. We'll just bring out the old guard, put them back on the stage. Everything will fall into place. It hasn't quite worked out like that. And that's the that's a concern for me. I, I still think England would it would be astonishing, frankly, if this England team failed to reach the semi-finals, and therefore they're two two wins away from winning the World Cup. That's that's my honest opinion. I, I just don't think they're going a bit like 2019. It would have taken something extraordinary for England to lose four group stage games and fail to get to the semi-finals. And to, as it turned out, they very nearly did, but they didn't, and the rest is history. So. You know, hold me to that. I think England will be in the semi-finals, but I don't know whether England are quite as sure of their methods as they were. I mean, clearly, we talked about Milan has gate crashed the party in a way that was not intended, but fair play to him for doing so. Um, we've we know that Rashid and Mark Wood um, are two absolute locks of their first choice attack, but both of them are in mothballs, and God knows how they'll be by the end of a long campaign. So again, you've got worries about that and how do you how do you back up that side? Joss Butler is an absolute gun. He's in utterly brilliant form and that is probably the best news that England have got. Obviously, Ben Stokes coming back and scoring a massive 100 is brilliant too, but there's still the concern about his knee. There always will be. And therefore, he's not an all-rounder anymore, which causes issues for the balance. And then Jason Roy is not there. And Johnny Bairstow, as you mentioned, he hasn't had the great run of ODI form here. And he does have a very, very gammy leg these days. I mean, we were worried about him in the test cricket, in the test matches. You know, he 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 produced that mind of a matter 99 and started teeing off about how everyone was being unfair about how, how hard it was for him since he broke his leg. But he broke his leg incredibly badly. And there's still no guarantee he is as fit as he used to be um, 
before that injury. So there are worries left, right and centre for the the mindset-led approach that England thought they were going to go in with, if you see, if you see what I mean. On the flip side, as you say, as, as mentioned, David Milan is coming in there with a with a pure, I'll show them attitude, plus the massive confidence of, of pure runs. Harry Brook is the next generation who's there or thereabouts. Liam Livingston found some form. So, you know, there's enough reason for to think that the new generation will actually be able to carry some of the some of the some of the weights going into this into this tournament. But you know, if if push came to shove and you were asking England how how content are you with the balance you've got in in light of everything we know about this cycle and how little opportunity there's been to play 50 over cricket and all the reasons that that you know test cricket's come back to the fore, therefore all the rest has been pushed to the back burner. You know, we know all that. We accept all that. That was that was written into the into the contract when it came to defending this title. But going into that first game at Ahmedabad, are England where they want to be in light of all that? I think I think honestly they're not quite where they would like to be. I think I think there is Joe Root's Joe Root's form is a big worry actually. I mean that was the original point you're making. I mean you know I was here at, the, at Lords watching him make 29 from 40. I think it was in the, in the end. It was the worst innings I've ever seen him play. I mean, he should have been out twice in single figures, and every shot he played just just reeked of of second guessing and self doubt in a way that he just simply did not have when he was basballing it all all through the summer. I mean, fundamentally, there was a third man in place, and you know, it it is it, really weird just just the the difference between the 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 liberal the the liberalities you're able to take in basball, I think. Fundamentally, the only thing that matters in baseball is your wicket, and therefore, if you don't get out, you're going to get runs because everything is is geared towards getting you out. in In fifty over cricket, as, as opposed to twenty over cricket, it's it's depth of innings, isn't it? It's you're you're going to be there for a long, long time, and everything they're doing is going to be designed to stop you scoring, which is, I think, a fundamentally different mindset to the one that Roots has been used to dealing with. You know, he's been sure that if he plays his cover drive. He will nail it because there won't be people out in the deep to scoop it up because they're all in the slips trying to get him out, hoping he's going to nick it off. Uh, and that's not that's not the option here. You know, you're going to have ring fields, you're going to have third men, you're going to have people back in in odd positions to cut off your dinky scoops and whatever else you want to do to get off strike. And we saw that in the World Cup final, didn't we? When when Colin de Grandhom tied him in not seven from thirty balls he made, uh, with de Grandhom just being too slow for him to nerdle it open the face and guide it down through third man. He couldn't get the pace on the ball to get the runs he needed to get off strike. And so we saw a little bit of that in, in the way in which he came back into this series. Uh, so it's quite an important, I mean, all things considered, the weather it doesn't look like it's going to be um, brilliant for him tomorrow at Headingley. But the fact he's gone, uh, gone off to play Ireland a few weeks before the World Cup to try and get his head around 50 over batting is kind of instructive. It, 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 I think it's, it, it's a credit to him to, to be willing to get down and graft and get down and, you know, have a, a live net essentially so close to the tournament. But also it's, a, it's, a, it, it's an indication perhaps that England, fundamentally, if Root is the, is the metronome of England's batting and everything that has been good about English batting in the last 10 years has basically been built about, about, around the solidity of Root being the guy off whom everyone riffs. If he's not feeling like, like riffing, if he's not, if he's not going to be the the anchor, the the, the solid guy you you look up and he's on forty and you don't know how he's got there, um, that undermines an awful lot about what's what the rest of the team can achieve around him. So, big cog, 
Um, there's still time. Uh, there's, there's a warm-up game with Hattie. There's plenty of opportunity in the nets. There's plenty of chance to just get his head in a better space and be the Joe Root we know he can be. But the fact that he has visibly struggled to make this switch is, again, a just, just an indication of, you know, it's, I, don't think, I don't think complacency is the right word because you can't accuse England of being complacent in the, in the individual components of England. You can be complacent about the schedule and the ECB deciding that 50 over cricket doesn't matter and all the things that have been done. You can't blame the players for the circumstances in which they're playing at the moment. Uh, but it is indicative of, of perhaps a format that uh, hasn't had enough love. And if, it, if England don't defend their World Cup, you might sort of start looking back at moments like this and think that that's probably the reason why, they, why it, why it came, came apart at the big moments. Yeah, I mean, um, Root was trying and failing to land his reverse scoop, wasn't he? Which was perhaps the most uh, unsettling thing. Uh, scores of 6 naught, 4 and 29 uh, in that New Zealand series. Um, Vish, does it uh, perhaps... I mean, uh, Miller's kind of referred to there to the the, the 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 trough that the format has existed in for for England for the last few years. Um, although it's probably fair to say that that's been the case for a lot of other countries around the world as well. You know, I think our Ashwin is going to play an ODI this week um, for the first time since January 20, uh, 2022 or something like that. Uh, all teams have kind of prioritised T20. You had two T20 World Cups in um, in back-to-back years. Um, so the, 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 the risks of kind of, of, of deprioritising a format and then hoping to go and defend your trophy in, in tough conditions like India. Um, and also the risk with this dad's army approach. I mean, um, the, you, you think that, that everyone, everyone knows their role. Everyone's um, very secure in how they play their game. The average squad age, even with Brooke replacing Roy, is 31 and a half-ish. Um, but if, yeah, if Joe Root's struggling to refind, uh, rediscover the rhythm of, of ODI cricket, then... Uh, that's bound to be potentially a problem for one or two of them over the, the next couple of months. Albeit Root has landed a blow ahead of Ahmedabad by injuring Tim Sandler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, so really Joe, Joe Root's done all he's needed to do, actually, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, the, the dad's army thing and talking about the ages of the players, I mean, I, I think that, you know, while a neat headline, I, I think you know England's squad that goes out there is, is the best squad they have, and it's it's, it's, a, it's a red herring, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny because you'd think that when he was talking about talking openly about struggling to come to grips with, um, you know, this new test approach under McCullum and Stokes after he had that initial purple patch, you know, one of the things that we always spoke to him about, and he, you know would often speak to us about was that you know it, it's about ODI route is is the best version of test route and yeah he, he seems to be trying a bit too hard I think you know having watched a bit of him in the hundred he was he looked very comfortable very easy it might even be a case that actually you know he doesn't need to play against Ireland he just needs a bit of a break just to you know just go away stop thinking about it too much and then pick back up when we go to India on the 27th um it's you know I suppose we should also say it, it's a pretty long tournament with those nine nine group games so it's enough time to get into form as well so I, i'm not i'm not too i'm not too worried about that and and alan as you said you know england find themselves in a position that a lot of other teams find themselves in 
positions where their their marquee players don't play a lot of fifty over cricket, and that's just the way of the world at the moment. So I wouldn't say you know, not to say that it won't be a problem, but I suppose it's not necessarily an excuse. Which um, I suppose at present they're not not really really looking at. I think. You know, I see someone like Liam Livingston as quite an interesting one because one of the things that helped Rue in ODIs was the fact that he he comes in after the Opens go big and he has a bit of comfort here in the fact that behind him ideally is, you know, depending on the on the balance of the team, but you'd assume it will be Liam Livingston and Moen Ali. So there's a bit of comfort there knowing that he can, can just knock it around. Maybe Laws was a bit of an anomaly because... You know, Miller said it's one of the worst innings he's seen him play. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The previous bad innings, as he said, Granholm um, doing him over in the World Cup final. I think when he goes out to India, I think his his the subtle variations of how he bats will be particularly useful, given that the, they'll play on various different surfaces. And he'll square that with himself. I think when he comes to the World Cup, I think he'll be a bit calmer because everything is laid out a bit more in front of him. And he's got an anchor in, in Ben Stokes as well. So I think maybe that'll also alleviate the pressure of thinking, right, I need to bat primarily 15 to fifteen to 45, you know, up to the 45th over at the very least and let the big guns take over. But yeah, he, I, I don't necessarily think there's all too much there to worry about for him, especially given that he's likely to scratch a, a bit of a responsibility itch, as it were, with his bowling. You know, I think his offies will be particularly mm-hmm. useful, and it's something that he's clearly come into the tournament and been a bit more, sorry, certainly come into the back end of the summer and, and been a bit more wary about. Like I, I talked to him while he was with the Trent Rockets, and specifically about his bowling as well. And he was like, he anticipates to be bowling a fair bit, um, and he also anticipates that he's not going to necessarily bowl ten every time, but there's every chance he'll bowl five at least in every game, which he's more than happy to do. And I think that will give him a bit more bit more responsibility and thus just you know maybe take the pressure off his batting to a point that feels like a bit of an oxymoron when we talk about Joe he's not thinking about his batting because we know he's always thinking about his batting but I think the way that Butler is is managed is quite interesting because Stokes is also there as well and I think there's ever needed a kind of support to distract himself I think he's he's around the people who know him best and I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not overly worried about how Joe Root is going to go in India. I think he'll just end up being Joe Root, and therefore being one of England's more important players in their certainly in their run in, into the knockout stages. It'll be all right on the night. Um, in terms of uh, sort of those bowling contributions, uh, Liam Livingston has has been regularly turned to over the one days and the, and the T20s. Moeen Ali actually has found some form with the ball. I think leading wicket taker for England in those ODIs. Um, and Miller, that's that will presumably mitigate for for Stokes not being an all rounder. Uh, he did um, allude to to the whole knee situation after that innings at the Oval, um, and I mean he, he I think he's basically said he has a plan for his knee, but he's not going to tell us what it is. Um, he 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 th- wanted to throw everyone off the scent um, about him coming back for the World Cup. Uh, because it was the easiest thing to say to put you, the press, off the radar. Um, but uh, he, it, I think the aim is to get the knee fixed for next summer. I mean, there is a big India tour, test tour, in between <laughs> now and then as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, uh, hobbling Stokes is usually a dangerous Stokes for the opposition, I suppose, is, is one way of looking at it. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, there's no point in in even contemplating him bowling this this tournament. I mean, if he may he may shock us all and suddenly turn out as a ten over spell in in adversity when it's just perfect for him and you know no one else can do it. But let's let's not even factor that in. I mean, what was it? It was a, was it the World T Twenty? He was he was bowling one over with the new ball uh, just to sneak something in, just to just to burgle a roll with the ball, and you know in so doing just bought options further than the order, which kind of worked <clears throat> but you know that was very much a um that was very much a last last ditch idea to just keep being relevant i don't think that's important given quite how fundamentally he is to the batting i mean as we saw with that 182 you know stokes is is in in the team as a frontline batter and <laughs> any side in the world would want a guy like him smoking it in the way that he did at the oval so um no, no point in even considering him as an all-rounder. And as you mentioned, Root is more of an all-rounder than than he ever was before. Um, Livingston, I mean, he bowled he 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 bowled some fine spells. He's he's bowled a bit of dross as well. He got one of his wickets the other day was a was the first bad ball that he had mowing and bowled between them in in ages. But obviously, this is what leggies often do, and, and ends up with I think it was Phillips holding out to mid wicket. Uh, it happens. Um, but no, the, the 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 depth of options that England have got and Rashid, whether he's fit or not. He will be the the gun spinner, so those two will segue and maybe bowl ten between them, maybe bowl twenty all told. I mean, it, it really depends on the on the conditions. And uh, again, the conditions. You know, uh, I think Simon Dool was talking about the conditions. He was he, he was he was saying that you know it's going to be straight after the, after the rainy season. So you know, it's not as if it's going to be bunts and burners left, right, and centre. It's going to be pretty. You know, the pitches should be pretty pretty slippery, pretty 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 lively. Bit a bit of seam help rather than rather than spin help in the, in the initial stages, at least. So, you know, it should be pretty handy uh, conditions for, for England to thrive, you'd have thought, because, you know, they, they do like the ball coming onto the bat. So, um, you know, I look forward to seeing how their bowlers fare in such conditions. I mean, you know, you've got people like Chris Wokes, we have not really talked about, who is, he is there as one of the veterans, one of the stars of the 2019 Tournament, but obviously, as we, as, as we all know, his, his, his performances overseas in Test cricket, in particular, have attracted scrutiny. Is this going to be a chance for him to, you know, in in, in fifty over cricket, he I think he's benefited more so than Test cricket because you know in Test cricket often it's uh, he's one of a churn of right arm mediums pounding in at, at the MCG and getting tonked. Whereas in white ball game, because England have got such depth of variety with their left armers and Topley and Willie and Rashid the spinner and you know probably Wood extreme pace. Suddenly, a guy who nibbles it on a good length is an absolute asset because you're going to get one of those, and innings not ten of them, so or four of them. So it's a, you know, he could be a very important cog in in England's performance here, and perhaps not play every game, but uh, you know, England have got a depth of experience. Gus Atkinson, I thought, showed some showed some good speed and and game awareness in his opportunities in 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 what's been a very fast tracked international start for him. So you know, he looks like a good option. To bring off the bench when Wood, in particular, can't can't uh, crank it up. So you know, broadly speaking, I think England have got depth. England have got the bowling to to do the needful. And and, and often it's been a case with England's bowling in in white ball cricket because their batting is so ballistic. Their bowling has just needed to be good enough. You know, often you know it doesn't matter if they get hit for three fifty in innings because they, they the batters will back themselves to score three sixty. So it's um you know that's. That's probably no different this time around than it was in 2019, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, for all that there are worries about, you know, the, the, the 
Rashid in particular and, and, and Wood, you know, the experience that these guys have gleaned uh, and actually they haven't played often in 50 over cricket in India, but I remember that there was that, that one series in, it was in 2018, wasn't it? Mm. It's almost almost too long ago now to be relevant, except a lot of the team are the same. When I think it was 350 plays, 350 in every single one of the innings. I think it was 2-1 to India in the end. But the fact is England showed in Indian conditions against a very, very good Indian team. Obviously, they won't be playing on every occasion uh, in a World Cup. Uh, they could mix it in, in India's home conditions absolutely, fundamentally, um, man for man. So uh, they've got the tools, is my... my uh, opinion of, of where they're at with the bowling but um, you know it's just are they are they are they collectively in the right place that's that's the wonderful <laughs> that no one can tell until we turn up on the day all the tools in the toolbox but as i often ask myself do they know how to use them um there is one big difference in 2019 vish that's no joffre archer but uh he has been seen uh, since we last spoke uh he's he was training with england at the uh, both uh, of the odis in London, um, and he is named or you know set to be the travelling reserve, uh, with a potential view that he might be fit to play in the back half of the tournament, which is, um, you know, probably better news than most were anticipating. Although that had been mooted as a, as a possible plan, I think, by Rob Key uh, a while back. But it's good good to see that he is on track. It seems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He bowled before the um, the last New Zealand ODI at Lords, and he, he bowled for a long time actually. To the extent that you know, when we're in our, you know, in our vantage points, waiting for the task, trying to work out who's in the eleven, I think Miller posited the idea like this would be really funny if they mess with us and they just chuck him in. Um, they didn't, sadly, so it was less fun. But no, it's it's yeah, it, it's very promising and it makes sense to take him actually because he would actually benefit from from being around the group and just you know going through his workloads, training, and just having the England set up with uh with closer eyes on him and being a bit more hands-on with him you know it's just it's it's coming up to maybe well a couple of months off a, a year since uh, i was out in the uae for the england lions england um match which was the warm-up ahead of the pakistan tour when archer played for england lions bowled very well in that um in that one day of that uh two-day game you know turned out to be and rocky had this roadmap for him and, and talked us through it and you know it fell apart when he got to the IPL but they they ticked quite a few boxes all the way through and to be honest when he was um, when he was ruled out for the summer I was a little bit wary that we wouldn't see him for the rest of the year but you know seeing him in back bowling and he looked you know he looks happy he looks fit certainly at the stage he's at right now he looks in in good health and you know that's probably the best best bit of a bad situation i suppose um but yeah I, I suppose you know given where we are not just with the world cup but also you know to step back and look at the contract situation that's um current, we're currently going through at the moment archer is a fascinating one really because um where does he fit into this you know multi-year format type thing which is you know being brought in to kind of keep the um keep the imposing t20 franchises at arm's length to a point um Having him around the England team, I think, is, is probably helpful for, for both sides to state their cases, really. That Archer still wants to play international cricket for England, but also that England still see him as an important part of their future as well. So, yeah, you know, it's a good move. It's a smart move. Also, you know, you mentioned he's just travelling reserve. He'll be the only travelling reserve at present. I did wonder, actually, if there was a point where 
when Brian Carson was added to the ODI, played and, and impressed as well. I wonder actually if he would be he would be the fast bowling reserve because he can tonk the ball as well. He hit a, mm. you know, he had a, a, a smallish but decent um, important cameo in that Lords game. Um, and he's someone who is incredibly exciting, bowls quickly, not quite as quick as Archer, but offers something with the bat. He's also the most Liam Plunkett alike, I, Liam Plunkett alike I've seen that they use. Someone who hits the pitch hard, can bowl those um, cross-seam deliveries and could be a factor in, the, in those middle overs if push came to shove. But they haven't gone that way. We don't really know who the third reserve is. It might, it might, it might be Brian Cast. They haven't. They don't necessarily have to name them, but I think they need to inform them, mm. inform the ICC who they are. But yeah, just to go back to the original point, yeah, very nice to see Archer there thereabouts. And I suppose you will only see him in the World Cup if there is an injury, really. And I suppose specifically if there is an injury to Mark Wood, you know, he could be drafted into the squad, but in terms of appearances, it would require something drastic. But then you can but dream, can't you? How cool would it be with a guy who bowls a <laughs> super over for England, gets parachuted in at the last moment because they... You know he needs to do the needful in the uh, in the knockout stages, but as of now, yeah, good signs for Joffrey Archer in England. Yeah, well, if if, uh, if this World Cup in the subcontinent goes anything like the last one in 2011, uh, we'll be you know cycling through the Overtons and Sam Cook and uh, anyone else who's fit by the end of the tournament. Um, speaking of the backups, Miller, I mean uh, we we kind of mentioned the Ireland series um, last week. There was one one small change to the squad. Um, Tom Hartley uh, could make an England debut debut this in the next uh, week, having I think only played three list day games in his career, all of them for England Lions. Um, there's a Lancashire left arm spinner who's replaced Craig Overton uh, in that squad. Uh, I mean, it, it is very much the uh, you know uh, the. Um, Way down the bill, uh, this this series. Um, uh, Ireland are already talk, uh, looking at a World Cup cycle. You know, four years down the line, um, Zach Crawley is going to lead England. Uh, but uh, uh, the root the root subplot aside, um, there'll be some some uh, interesting uh, names and faces to look out for over the next few days. Yeah, it, 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 once again, it feels for Ireland as though they're in the wrong wrong place at the wrong time. I was here at the Lord's Test match uh, back in back in June when clearly. All of their real concerns were going out to Zimbabwe to play the uh, uh, the 50 over qualifying event, which of course they bombed out and lost their first three games and didn't make the knockouts or didn't make the super sixes. So, um, and now suddenly here they are at the end of the English season with England already basically on the plane to India. And, and yeah, you've got Heinrich Milan, their coach, saying, Yeah, well, this is the start of our journey to 2027. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't get more, much more of a poignant uh, expression of. Ireland's pointlessness at the moment. So, you know, what, what, what are we all doing here? Um, it's no, it, 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 you know, frankly, that's that's a that's a, a, a fault of the ICC. To be perfectly honest, so I thought I thought the I think we all agree that the the, the brutality of that of that Zimbabwe tournament to only give two places to well, there were six I reckon six incredibly worthy teams who were all competing. Uh, West Indies being one of them. Oman were good. Um, Scotland, Scotland nearly got there. Zimbabwe themselves. There were so many teams there that would have been worthy contenders at a World Cup if, if they expanded the pool, but they haven't. And so all I can do is look ahead 2027. 20, 
Um, you know, the, the, it, let's not forget they have actually beaten England twice in their last two white ball games. They've obviously won the, that DLS game in, in Melbourne in the, in the T20 World Cup, which, you know, arguably was the defeat that, that sparked England into life. Uh, Josh Butler was, uh, by all accounts, very sweary in the dressing room afterwards and, uh, and they, they got, themselves, got themselves back together to, to win the tournament. But then, of course, in, in the COVID year of 2020, um, they, they played a three-match series and uh, England lost the last one despite putting, I think, three to eight on the board. Uh, um, Balburnie and Sterling are going to open the batting tomorrow. Each made a century and, and, and talked it around. Curtis Camp is going to bat at number three. He's, he's an exciting prospect. who's an all-rounder as well. Harry Tector, I watched him down at um, Chelmsford when Bangladesh came over. He scored an absolutely monstrous 100 with about 10 sixes blasted all over the Hayes close end. So, um, you know, they're, 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 they've got exciting components. Uh, but the, uh, the circumstances, not for the first time this summer, are just, you know, wrong place, wrong time. No one's interested in, in what Ireland have got to offer in 50 over cricket at this precise moment. Um, frankly, they aren't interested either. I mean, they, they, they qualified for the 2020 World Cup uh, next summer in the USA. That's a far more relevant target for them. So, you know, I imagine they'll probably be looking to more learnings towards that than, than 2027 in the, in the shortest term. But, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And as you say, as for England, I mean, it's, um, you know, we're kind of where, where we were two years ago in that COVID um, summer when Ben Stokes and Ben's babes came together and, uh, and, and talked to... Uh, Pakistan, um, uh, it's an opportunity, albeit you know the, the, a lot of them missed the boat for this this World Cup. It's an opportunity for England's incredible bench strength in white ball cricket to get a get a run out. And if you if you look down the the team that's likely to play tomorrow, I mean you got top of the order, you got Phil Salt, who is a World Cup winner. Let's not forget uh, he was there in the, in Melbourne when England won the uh, won the T Twenty World Cup last year. Um, he's probably slipped way down the pecking order, but he's going to get a chance to restate his credentials. Will Jacks is probably a very, very good shout as an auxiliary reserve for the World Cup because you know he's a, he's an opening batter. He's a he's a potential spin option to back up Livingston and can smack it in the middle order. So you know he's 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 a really good prospect who again getting opportunities to do something is something. Um, Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett, basketball extraordinaire, going to be in the middle order as captain and vice captain, as we discussed last week. That's um, that'll be fun. And Duckett, in particular, I think, um, given his prowess in, in, in Asian conditions, another guy who wouldn't be out of place if England did need a reserve for the World Cup. And further down the order, you've got uh, Luke Woods, you've got Bryden Cars, who, as, as I say, he's a very good shout for World Cup honours, and Rayan Ahmed, who you know, he's only 19. But he's clearly the coming man, and God knows, as we've talked about, Rashid and, and his his um, longevity is is an ongoing issue. England will be managing Rashid through this World Cup, but if God forbid something does happen to him, you would imagine Rehan Ahmed will be will be called into the squad. I mean, he's he's the closest thing to a like for like, even at the age of nineteen. Um, so uh, you know, there's a there are plenty of players in this in this game uh, coming up that have got something to play for. It's just it's all a little bit cricket for the sake of cricket at this late stage of, of a season that, uh, frankly, the agenda has already moved on uh, because that's just the way international cricket goes now. We've got a very, very big tournament coming up and this, unfortunately, is not a big tournament. This is just filler, filler at the end of the season. Cricket schedule being broken, uh, where we heard that <laughs> one before. Um, and speaking of interest in, in 50 over cricket, uh, we, should, we should finish, I think, uh, on this, which um, was the other big story of the weekend. Just 
just sandwiched in between David Milan nailing his World Cup place and Jason Roy being dropped from the squad. Um, of course, referring to Leicester swindling Hampshire to win the Metro Bank Cup final. Um, not at Lords these days, the, the one-day showpiece. It was, uh, Vish, you were packed off to Trent Bridge. Um, how, was, how was your day out and, and what a story you got to tell? Yeah, yeah, it was a great story, actually. Um, we should temper it by saying that it is, you know, it, it is a second eleven competition and it was won by a team who... That, that was Leicester's first eleven, wasn't it? <laughs> well, well this, is, this is my point. And it was a team who basically <laughs> were, were able to play their first eleven throughout. But I don't think that should take away from... Although Harry field. Swindle's, uh, uh, you know, Mike Brook uh, argument there. Well, yeah, yeah, oh, I suppose. But, but he, um, you know, I, I suppose he, he kind of touches on the point I was going to make, really, about, like, the, just the feel of the day and the just the joy at the end when they were able to win by by two runs kind of made it as important as it, as it could be, really. Uh, this is, I mean, I, I suppose I, I'm talking in quite dismissive terms here, but it would have been wasted. It's, it's, a, it's a tournament win that would have been wasted on Hampshire. Um, but for a, a team that were together for the whole thing, that made quite a big call in not picking Rahan Ahmed and also not picking Callum Parkinson. And the fact that they had to rest on, you know, in terms of their batting, two players and Sam Evans, who played just twice, and Harry Swindles, who hadn't played at all, who revealed to BBC Radio Leicester on... Monday yesterday, as we record this, that he was actually looking for jobs before he got the call that he was to tell him he was playing. That kind of stuff's quite important because while it is, a, you know, a developmental competition because it takes place in tandem with the hundred and therefore bigger players from bigger counties. You know, Hampshire are ten players away for that. Uh, you know, Surrey had, you know, eleven, twelve people who are um, either playing or contracted to other hundred franchises, if not the Oval Invincibles as well. You know, it brings those smaller teams to the fore, brings them to the forefront of that competition, and also allows those individual players to justify or try and pitch for a new contract next season. So, for that reason, quite important, but also quite cool to see Leicester win something. You know, the last time they won a tournament of note was the 2011 T20 Blast. Um, but you still, I, I still find myself leaving Trent Bridge thinking, you know, but. Does this matter? It matters to everyone there. It certainly mattered to me. It was a very emotional day by the end of it. Um, but what does it mean, I suppose, going forward? And I suppose that's something for me to answer. And maybe that's not for us to consider now because it doesn't. We don't need to think <laughs> very deep and philosophical. Ahead. What does it? What does, I think? What is I think the meaning matters. of the Metro Bank Cup final. Yeah. I think. I think. It, I think it matters. I think. I think. It, I think it, it is vital for the. For the depth and breadth of English cricket to have a showcase, and I think that is that is the fundamental point that uh, that came out of all this is that even even if you disparage the teams that aren't going to win everything all the time, you can't disparage the individual stories that contribute to the narratives that end up getting us excited. You know, Harry Swindle's case in point. You know, if he didn't have a chance to play for Leicestershire, he wouldn't be playing cricket at all. And therefore, England would be poorer for the fact that, you know, that's one fewer avenues that uh, the game has to create players who are going to pu push for higher honours. And, you know, it, it actually reminds me that we didn't really drill down into the, the uh, we kind of touched up with Joffre Archer, actually. But I, I wonder if there's just an underlying, underlying excuse that England had 
with with the Jason Roy situation about you know his his contractual situation, his decision this summer to say to the ECB, you know what, I'm not sure I can be bothered with an ECB contract anymore. I've got better opportunities elsewhere. I'm going to start scouting around, which is entirely up to him. He's entirely he's entirely justified in doing that. But if if in the in the in the course of the whole pathway, and you know it's a very ECB thing to say pathways, but there is a pathway that that there has to be if English cricket and you know, the World Cups remain the pinnacle event of, of uh, the global calendar, then you have to assume that everybody is pushing in the same direction. Everybody is going to want to rise up from wherever they start out, be it Leicestershire or be it Cumberland or wherever else that get their chance to compete and be seen on a, on a higher stage and get the chance to move up to a, a different level. And ultimately, as you know, even, even, you know, we disparage the England Ireland games that are going on now, but, Similar point to the Leicestershire opportunity. There are going to be guys who are going to have a Harry Swindles moment in this coming week uh, for England uh, that they wouldn't have got if it wasn't for the fact that, um, that they were being given the, the chance in the first place. So ultimately, you wonder if everything's pushing upwards and everything is about you know wanting to be the player who plays for England fundamentally. Um, you know, again, Darwin Milan, he, 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 he is playing for England at the World Cup because he's made his mission in the last four years to play for England above contract opportunities elsewhere. You know, he's decided, no, I'm going to play every single ODI opportunity there is. And fundamentally, he's got the opportunity here. And, you know, when it comes, push comes to shove, Jason Roy, hero of English cricket, 2019, et cetera. But a guy who's already made it clear that, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking about the next step versus Harry Brook, a guy who is probably going to be in high demand by everybody in the world. But if you don't take him to the World Cup, what does that say about your willingness to to give your great players who are coming through the system a chance, a shot at the at the higher honours? So I think that's fundamentally where all this where all this stacks up. Everything about Leicestershire, everything about this England Ireland game, everything about the the channeling of excellence towards the top, everything that England done right in white ball cricket in particular. I mean, Test cricket to a to a lesser degree because they've just started there, but white ball cricket in particular. Everything that is good about English cricket comes from the breadth of opportunity that is offered for players to be seen and to get better. And so that fundamentally is 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 what I think is uh, we we've seen in in the past few weeks. And you know, with any luck, you know, when when the, when we really do start thinking about the cycle to twenty twenty seven, as much as Ireland are talking about for, for these, these coming weeks, a lot of the guys who are in the system now will have opportunities and experiences of playing well for England. It will sound in good stead in in the race to the next big event. Certainly, something uh, to be said about you know, the glory of uh, of cup competitions and the pyramid and all that uh, fine tradition in this country. And obviously, uh, it was a cracking game because last year were nineteen for four. They were eighty nine for six. Uh, they got to two hundred and sixty seven through uh, Harry Swindle's maiden list a hundred, and then. Hampshire were always just on the edge of control in in that chase and even looked like they were going to win, should have won. I think two overs left, they needed uh, 11, um, so less than a runnable. Then they ended up needing eight off the final over. And, and then Josh Hull, uh, who is a name we might end up hearing uh, about down the line for, for England World Cups, 19-year-old, six foot seven, I think, left armour, um, shows... Uh, the proper stones to defend um, eight against World Cup winner Liam Dawson. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it was 
such an incredible feat for him. He's only, he's only 19. Um, his penultimate over, so he bowled the 48th and the 50th. The 48th over went for 14 runs, which put it under a runnable. And to be honest, we, we were saying this in the press box at the end of the game. The only time it felt like Hampshire were behind the game was when they needed three or no deliveries. Because so, <laughs> it looked like they, you know, they botched, botched it at various different times, but you thought, they were going to come through, especially when they got to a stage where they were five down. There's still a bit of work to do, but they had Joe Weatherly, who's an exciting and, um, you know, uh, he's in his mid-20s now, but he's an exciting white ball player who's been in those situations before because through playing for Hampshire, you get those situations in in uh, white ball cricket, specifically in the blast. Uh, and Liam Dawson, who's just been there and done that. And it was, yeah, really impressive for Hull because he hadn't, it was quite expensive going into that. He got out Tom Prest as well, who's another exciting young shirt. Youngster for Hampshire, he's called 51. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose like he, he he's probably the best example of what Miller was talking about there, about this pyramid, because, you know, they, they were watching him in, in the winter nets at the back in the 2022, and they thought, tall left armour, balls mid-80s, moving the ball around. There aren't really too many of those in English cricket full stop, let alone in, you know, in the Leicestershire area. And... Without the without the um, one day cup, he probably wouldn't have got the same opportunity. He certainly wouldn't have got the run of games. He ended up as their um, second highest leading wicket taker, um, and you know, importantly, got a game on TV. I was speaking to someone at Sky the other day actually, and Leicester were on TV once all season before this final. Now, if you're a Leicester player and knowing how much stock people put into TV games, because you almost get that match of the day complex where on TV, a pundit mentioned something, someone doing something, and that you take that opinion away for the rest of the season. Um, people are going to think, people are going to remember Harry Swindles for a bit of time. People are going to remember Josh Howell as well because, yeah, they closed out that game brilliantly well. He dismissed Liam Dawson midway through that final over as well, and held his nerve throughout. And yeah, he's he, he's not so he's someone who's not quite on um, England's radar in terms of a talented youngster, beyond the fact that he's tall, bowls left arm and registers in the, in the mid-80s. But, you know, off the back of that, he, he probably is now. He probably is someone that they're like, you know what, why don't we just keep tabs on him? And, and you know, for for the lo- for the low-level side of that, that is someone that is sending a scout every now and again over to come and watch him, maybe sending a, a local scout to Leicester to, um, you know, Put some eyes on him, you know. Jigger Nike, who does a little a lot of work for Leicestershire, and I think he's the you know their head of academy there, or certainly their head of talent um, identification, spe- specifically for Leicestershire, is an ECB scout, and he is some by the people at Loughborough. So, you know, who knows? You know, watch this space, and it might take a bit of time, but yeah, he um, he certainly uh, pulled out a performance at the right time on a, on a number of fronts for his team and for himself going forward personally. It was a hull of an effort. Um, and here begins Awful. the campaign. Awful. <laughs> it's the end of the show. But I can do what I like. Um, <laughs> to get the, should, uh, the Metro Bank final. Said, uh, it should also be the... said, there is a vacancy for, for a for a Leicestershire-grown Leicestershire tall, fast bowler in, in England's ranks these days. Given that Stuart Broad has just vacated. Mm. So, you know, there's a lineage to be, be uh, carried got... on there. They've got quite a few left arms at the moment, though. You know, uh, certainly in white ball cricket. Um, anyway, I think that's that is our lot for this week. We've reached the bottom of the barrel. Um, England's B team will attempt to give Ireland a seeing too, uh, and then it's over to the A listers and the World Cup defence in India. 
We'll be back before that gets going in our Medabad. But for now, my thanks to Miller and Vish. Uh, please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform and keep up to date with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com.